If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to Genesis 2. We're going to start at verse 18. Title of my message today is, What is the Family For? I bet if we went around the room this morning and asked everybody that question, we'd get different answers. Well, let's look at God's Word. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her forth to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become as one flesh. Well, there are many forces uh, changing the family scene today. I'm sure as you look across America, uh, you can tell that. You've read the statistics. You're not uh, blind uh, to what is happening. There are a lot of voices in the marketplace today that are saying the family is finished. It's out of date. It's no longer relevant. Uh, It's a thing of the past and on and on and on. Well, I want to raise my voice in opposition to that. It is not finished. It is simply fragile. And it needs every one of us to do all that we can do to make it stronger. Have you noticed on television that they rarely show a happy, loving Christian family? Have you ever noticed that? That just doesn't show up on the TV. We have all sorts of aberrations on TV. Uh, maybe a movie star and another movie star will get married, and then a couple of years later uh, we'll have to go through. As I go through the grocery line at the store, I see all these. You know, well, that lasted two years, and now that's over. To show a normal, strong Christian family is rare. We have to put up with the Kardashians. Uh, We have to see all the weird things that go on in some very weird people's lives. What does the Bible have to say about the family? Well, we've read this passage uh, from Genesis. Let's see what the Bible says that the family's all about. You'll notice two things from our reading this morning. The first one is, is that the family was God's idea. That was God's idea. So it was a good idea. And it's one, of course, that uh, we need to cling to. 
The family will always be around because whether some like it or not, it will always be the building block of society. There's always got to be a place where it's strong. And if there will ever be a place where our nation is strong, it's right in the heart and soul of a strong Christian family. Secondly, you'll notice that God made Adam and put him in a perfect place. Everything there was perfect. And yet God said it was not good for man to be alone. Now, that is true whether you're married or whether you're single today. People were made for people. Every one of us here in the house today, we need good relationships, good, strong friendships, good, strong people that will stand with us during the storms of life. Ardeth, uh, one of our members, called me this morning. She was crying. She said her sister had passed away, and I reached out to her over the phone. I said, Ardeth, you know we love you, and we'll be praying for you. You're a part of our family, and she certainly is. And you are. And we're in this together. We're, we're passing through these days of our lives as a group, as a family. I don't know how long uh, we'll all be together, uh, but for a while, while we will be. And while that goes on, we want it to be the very best it possibly can be. We need some people that will care about us. Guess how that happens? You care about other people. That's how it happens. You start the ball rolling. You care about somebody else. Guess what? They start caring about you. What's the family for? That's the title of my sermon today. Fifty years ago, I wouldn't have had to preach a sermon like this. Everybody knew what the family was for. Uh, today, uh, it's, it's different. Uh, today, there's a high percentage of our populace that has no idea what the family's for. They, they live like, uh, you know, you get up every day and you have to decide what it's for on that particular day. So, uh, there's a saying from some that says, well, let's just chunk this family idea and do her own thing. Well, what is the family for? For many people, I can describe it in two words. It's bed and breakfast. Uh, that's what it's for. Uh, it's simply an economic necessity. It's a tax break. It's a wait station where you are for a while, maybe you eat breakfast there, maybe you eat supper there, maybe you don't, uh, but that's uh, pretty much all there is to it. God says there is so much more than that to a family. What's the family for? Well, I have four things today that I want to mention to you that the uh, family uh, serves for. Number one, family is to be a shelter in times of storms. Now, you know and I know that there are storms in all of our lives at different times. You might be in one right now. You might be going through something and not hardly anybody knows about it, but you know about it. 
and it's painful to you. For some of you that are here today, everything might have been right up on the top of the hill for 10 years. Everything's great. Everything's going just just hunky-dory. Everything is wonderful. Well, sometimes, even the folks that everything usually goes well, they get deluged in the storm. We all go through tough times. Things don't always go as we plan them. So we need a place that provides protection, stability, and security. Proverbs 14 says, Reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength, and his children have a place for refuge and security. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. What about your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? What about them? Do they have a place for refuge, for security? The Bible tells us that God created the family for a refuge during the storms of life. Let me give you three kinds of storms that we face. We face the storm of change. There are so many things changing today. I'm not a real techie person. You know, really, about all I do well is talk. (laughs) I don't know hardly anything about technology. I mean, just about nothing. I can do emails, and that's about it. Uh, That's about all I can do. Well, there's a, a lot of change going on around us. We go through all these changes in life. There are illnesses. There are deaths, there are divorces, we have graduations, we change jobs, we move. There needs to be a place that no matter where the house is, there is a family in it that we know we can trust that loves us. So when change comes, we need a place of shelter in the storm. Secondly, there is a time of failure. You have probably learned by now that you're not going to win at everything. Cindy and I have a friend that uh, goes to the gambling place on I-4. And uh, he went every week. And uh, he, he wouldn't play the, I don't even know if they have nickel things. Do they have nickel things? He, he wouldn't pay the nickel things. He'd play the dollar things, you know, and, and uh, every once in a while he'd win something. One day, how much was it? Was it 80000 Fifty. One day he won 53000 So he told everybody about that. But he didn't tell everybody about the times that he lost. <laughs> you know, sometimes we lose. Uh, you, you get turned down sometimes for the promotion. You maybe got an F somewhere along in a class that you took, or a C, and you didn't expect a C. Maybe you didn't make the team. You went out for it, but you didn't make it. Or maybe your team has a losing season. Or you go bankrupt. You know, a lot of people in America every week go bankrupt. Things don't always go as planned. Folks, you can handle anything in life 
if you can come home to a loving family that will put their arms around you. I was single until I was 50, and I lived alone all all of that time, and I felt like the church was my family where I was serving. I've been pastoring since I was 19 years old. I'm 72. And I, I feel like the church has always been my family. Now, if I call you brother, don't think I've lost my mind. I feel like you are my brother. If I call you sister, it's because I really see you as a sister to me. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if you fall down alone, there is no one to help you up. Family members are fans even when you have a losing season. They are a shelter in the storm. The local church is a great, great place to have a family. The third storm is rejection. Rejection is probably the most difficult storm of all. We hate to be rejected. We hate to be put down. We hate to be ridiculed. We hate to be insulted. We hate to be criticized. Some of the most difficult times of rejection is when we were kids. Do you remember that kids were mean Do you remember that? Do you remember that some kids were vicious and they they really tried to kind of hurt you? Do you remember that? Many of you can still remember points of pain that you had when you were a little kid. And if you hadn't had a loving family to buoy you up after whatever it was happened, then it would have left terrible, lasting impressions on your life. A refuge in the midst of a storm. When you play games, have you ever noticed that a lot of games have as their object uh, for you to get home? You know, of course, everybody knows about baseball. You want to get home. That's the whole point of the game. You want to score runs. You want to get home. Uh, When you get home in a lot of games, you're safe. And that's where you want to be. Homes were meant for safety. Well, what can you do to make your home safe? Well, you can demonstrate your love to those that are there. If there's no one in your immediate frame uh, house, your immediate place of uh, address, you have friends that you look upon as family, And what you can do is demonstrate your love for them. Love your family. Show it when they're going through a hard time. Reach out to them. Write them a letter. Send them an email. Call them on the phone. Go by the house. How do you do that? Well, you give hugs. I'm I'm for hugging. I think uh, we probably ought to do more of that. I'm for giving a hearing. We need to listen to people. I know some people, they just cannot listen. They want to talk. They don't want to listen. You know, sometimes 
we need to listen and to really hear what the other person is saying. One time years ago, a man came in to see me and I asked him how he was doing and he said, well, times are tough. And I said, tell me about it. And he talked for about an hour and I did not say one word. And when the hour was over, he got up and said, you know, Ron, I, I feel better right now than I have felt in months. Thank you for talking with me. <laughs> I said, well, brother, it was a joy. And he left. We need to hear, we need to hug, we need to, to help. You say, well, how do I help? Well, there's a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways. You've got you to gotta help people when they're going through a hard time, when there's a storm raging. God intended for the home to be a shelter during the time of storm. That's why divorce is so painful, because the place of acceptance becomes the place of rejection. The shelter of the storm becomes the center of the storm. That's why it's so debilitating. All right, number two, the family is to be the learning center for life. The Bible says that families are to be learning centers. Now think about all the things that you learned when you were just a little kid. The basic skills of life. You learned how to walk there. You learned how to talk there. You learned how to sleep there. You learned all the basic skills of life. Psalms 134 says, May our sons and their youth be like plants that grow up strong. The Bible often refers to the family in terms of a garden. Because a place to grow people. It is the home. It's a garden that grows people, that grows you, that grows me. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's what a family is supposed to do. Train people, help modify behavior, use some positive things. Don't just do all negative stuff. Do some positive things. Behavioral modification is not all bad. Uh, some of that, in fact, is very good. Uh, someone has said that the bottom line in the rearing of your child is knowing which end to pat <laughs> and when to pat it. When you're training your children, you want to take them through three stages. Parent control self-control, and God-control. Those ought to be the stages that a Christian family would want to promote with their children. That's the goal. God intends our families to be learning centers for life. And we don't ever quit learning. You say, well, you know when you get older, you're not going to change much. I've seen some people change drastically. I really have. I've seen some people that have changed. And people would say, gosh, I never thought he could do that or she could do that. And they did it. They changed. 
It can happen. It does happen. Luke 2 tells us that Jesus grew four ways. He grew in wisdom. That's intellectual. He grew in stature. That, of course, is the physical. He grew in favor with God. That's spiritual. And he grew in favor with man. That's social. Now, the Lord wants all of us to grow in those four ways as well. He wants us to move along that same path. We learn a lot of things from our family, from our church family. There's a lot of people here that are very mature in their faith. If you're having a hard time, you might kind of single out one or two and ask them, ask a couple of them about the same situation in your life. And if both of them say the same thing, then maybe that's what you ought to do. You know, not just listen, but, but act upon what has been said to you. Let me give you three things that you won't leave home without. One is relationships. Uh, good or bad, right or wrong, your success in life deals to a great deal with how you handle relationships. And you learn that, hopefully, in a very positive way in your home. Secondly, character. Much of what you pick up from your home determines the kind of character that you're going to have. We have a saying like father, like son. Now, some people have terrible fathers. If you do, then you've got to get with some other people, and you've got to learn from them and let them become kind of your adopted father. And you've got to get lessons from them and suggestions from them. And you've got to grow because of them. Character is, is caught. It's, it's not taught verbally so much. You don't tell your kids to always be honest. And then the phone rings and the parent says, now if that's for me, tell them I'm not home. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. We don't want to do it that way. They watch your actions instead of what you say. The third thing is values. What is really important? Just think of all the things we learn at home. We learn about work. We learn about how to divvy up our time. We learn about sex. We learn about money. We learn about play. We learn about God. We learn about others. We learn about what is really important in life. Our values are learned at home. Those values come through loud and clear. Unintentionally, intentionally, they come through. Isaiah 38 says, One generation makes known your faithfulness to the next. It's like passing a baton in a relay race. You grew up in a family. It might have been a great, wonderful Christian family. It might have been a terrible family. But maybe you learned from somebody good, and then you grew up and you got married. And you wanted to pass along the good things that you learned from some people that weren't your blood parents. And so you did that. And then you had an influence not only with the generation of your children, but with their children and their children and their children. So what you're doing to this day with your children is very, very important. 
Have you heard this line? I'm not going to impose my spiritual values on my children. I'm going to let them make up their own mind. I've got a word for that. Baloney. <laughs> the foolishness of such a statement is this. It implies that God is an option. God is not an option. God is there. It depends on how you relate to him, but God is there. If you are not teaching your children about God, you are making a major mistake that has eternal consequences. It's not a matter of letting them decide. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, this is in your job description. It says this, these commandments should you teach your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, be teaching them this stuff all the time. By what you say, by what you do, by the actions that uh, go on in your life. The reason that we don't do that as much as we used to is because we don't walk in the road together. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, people would walk around together. We'd walk around the neighborhood together. They don't do that very much anymore. We don't sit down together anymore and just talk to each other about the day, about what's good, about what's bad. You know what we do? We turn on the TV. That's what we do. Average child watches TV about 1,000 hours a year. By the time you're 18, you've got it. If you live 65 years, you're going to spend nine and a half years watching television. If you take your children to church once a week for 65 years, they're going to get four months of Bible study. So now see, there's nine and a half years and four months. Where do you think they're going to get their values from? Television. Is it what you want them? Is that where you want them to get everything? Or from God's word? What, what should you and I do? Well, you ask yourself two questions. Am I intentionally teaching my children? What am I teaching them about money? What am I teaching them about character? What am I teaching them about sex? What am I teaching them about honesty? Is that really what I want to be teaching them? What do I want them to know and what are they learning from me? Are they learning these important lessons from you or from the television? Number three, a family is a place to play. It's a format for fun. It's a haven for happiness. It's a place to have a good time, a place to sit back and take it easy and visit. When I was six and seven years old, Every Saturday night, my brother and I look forward to it, we would uh, sit down in the living room, my mother would make popcorn, and we would sit in a circle and watch the radio. <laughs> That's exactly what we did. I'm not kidding. We sat in a circle and watched the radio. That's all it was on. It was great fun. You know, that's missing a lot of homes today, a lot of homes. The father thinks home is boot camp. You remember the sergeant uh, on uh, The Sound of Music, the drill sergeant guy? You remember him? The father, he would blow a whistle and the kids would march in. He'd blow a whistle and the 
Kids would march out. You remember that? Julie Andrews straightened him out, though. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 9 says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I know you've read the bumper sticker, The Family That Prays Together Stays Together. I want to add a, another line to that. The family who enjoys each other's company, who has fun with each other, has a bond that is binding. Do you have fun with your kids? You say, well, my kids are gone. Well, when they come, do you have fun with them? You know, if you don't have fun with them, don't be surprised that they don't come back often. You know, if you can think up some ways for them to have fun while they're with you, that would be a great thing. Kids want to be where the fun is. What should we do? Well... We ought to demonstrate our love. We ought to evaluate our values. We ought to celebrate our family. We need to enjoy the family that God has given to us. The Bible tells us that our children are a gift. Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. They are his reward. They are not going to be around for very long. You've got to make the most of every minute. If God has given you children, celebrate them and enjoy them. Number four, last one. God meant for the family to be a launching pad for ministry. Now, you might never have thought of your family as being a ministering team. I know I never did. Uh, My family didn't go to church. My brother didn't go to church. I was the only one in the place that went to church. I would like to tell you that there's nothing that can help unify your family more than it being a ministering team. When I married Cindy, a wonderful thing happened. I had a team. We had a team together. We count on each other. We support each other. We build each other up. We love each other. You know, uh, we had a wedding here yesterday, and uh, Cindy sang, and I talked, and uh, it was really, it was nice. You know, we worked together on it. And uh, it's best, you know, when you have a ministry team in your family. Develop a ministry team with whatever family you have. Our church provides some opportunities to do that. You could adopt a homebound adult. That would be a wonderful thing to do. Absolutely wonderful. We have a, a, a lot of those kind of people that we know very well. Many are former members, and we want to give them, uh, give you their name. You can adopt a grandparent. You can help build a house on the weekends with Habitat for Humanity. You can volunteer to help a young person by being a big brother, a big sister. We have some families in our church that are good examples of this. They've been doing it for years. The ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal for happiness and harmony in the family is to be found in Acts 16.34. His whole family rejoiced. Because they had come to know the Lord. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Uh, There's no better feeling in the world than to see your family worshiping together, growing in their understanding of God's love together, and finally coming to know the Lord in a personal way. Let me urge you today to have the kind of family, the kind of home, that is a shelter in the midst of a storm, that is a learning place for life, 
that is a place to really enjoy each other and is a team to serve the Lord. Would you do that? I hope and pray that you will. Today, there might be some folks in the house that uh, have been thinking about trusting the Lord as their Savior. We want to get you to do that. Uh, I know sometimes it's difficult to walk down an aisle by yourself. Lean over to the person next to you and say, will you walk down with me? They'll do it. You'll ask them. You know, if you're here and you've been visiting with us and maybe you think you'd like to join this church, we'd love to have you. We want our family to grow. We want to have more brothers and sisters in the faith. We want the family to grow. So we're hoping and praying that you'll come and join with us and serve with us and that our team in ministry would develop and become more effective. Today, today, if the Lord is encouraging you to take a step forward, please do it. I'll be standing down here at the front waiting on you to come. Let's stand together as we sing.